So my name's Scott. If I've not met you, I am one of the pastors here, and we are in a six, no, 12-week series. I almost halved it. Everyone's like, yay! No, I didn't have it. It's a 12-week series on the book of Ephesians, and you're thinking there's, thinking, there's only, thinking there's only six chapters. How come we're going 12 weeks? Well, when I first got saved, I was a machinery driver, so I'd drive cranes and forklifts and all that sort of stuff for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. So I used to listen to a lot of messages, just podcasts, through my phone, and I would listen to five or six messages a day. And I was listening to this church in the United States, and they spent over 100 weeks in the book of Luke. A hundred weeks. They sat in the book of Luke for over two years. And they weren't half an hour messages like we do here. He would, his messages would go for about an hour and 15, an hour and a half each. So 12 weeks and only 30-minute messages. You're welcome. You can, uh, you can thank me later. So today we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So if you want to open your Bibles and, or get them up on your phone, we'll be literally walking through these verses today. So they are, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of the great love of, of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. For your word is truth and is powerful and is active, Lord. God, I pray that today you would open our hearts and our minds to see your word, to see it in a new light that we would be transformed more into your likeness, Jesus. And Lord, may they not look to me, but only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever thought back to your youth and thought back to the things that you used to love, but now you don't like them? Like things that you used to really get into and, and now you've grown up, things are different. Well, for me, um, I used to love... Uh, Okanui boardies and fluoro shirts and you'll probably see on the screen <coughs> that's me in the middle check out those sunnies right they're cool right <laughs> I, would quite, I wouldn't mind actually getting a pair of them now but uh, Okanui's and fluoro shirts are just not my thing anymore right they just I just don't get into them so turn to the person next to you and, and tell them something that you used to like but that you don't like anymore just one thing All right, I bet you it's not as cool as that, right? No one's got a story like that. And you know what? You may have changed over time, maybe because that's 
because you grew up and you become more mature. Maybe it's because you realized what you thought was good actually turned out to be bad and that experience changed you. You know, I had a massive change in my life when I came to faith in Jesus at the age of 33. Like there was a way that I used to live and then when I met Christ, everything changed. And I look back on my life before I was with Jesus and I look at the things that I used to do and I can't even fathom in my brain now why I used to do it. Like there's things that I'm ashamed of and I think, why would I do that? Why did I think that was okay? Like I was literally blind to what I was doing. And then I came to Christ and and he opened my eyes to this different way of living. So coming to faith for me was, was this transforming event. And this is what Paul's doing here at the start of this passage. He's saying to the church, guys, don't forget, you were once dead and without God in your life. You see, before Jesus, you were dead. And he explains to them why they were dead. And then he explains who and what has saved them and made them spiritually alive. So these are the two points that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at you were dead in your sins, but now you are alive in Christ. Because Paul believed, and I also believe, that we need a good understanding of what we were before we were saved by Jesus. Because this gives us a better understanding of the grace and the love of God that we find through Jesus Christ. And not only that, but having a good understanding of our spiritual condition before Jesus helps us understand where non-believers are, where they find themselves without Christ and the powers that are at play in their life. And when we understand that, we know how to go to war against Satan for people's souls. So let's look at what the text says about our condition before we came to faith in Jesus. So point number one is you were dead in your sin. So verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What does it mean that we're dead? Like, we're alive, right? Like, we're standing here right now. I wasn't dead before I was 33. I was a living person. But as humans, we're made up of three things. We're mind, body, and spirit. And so what Paul is telling us here, before salvation, we are these physical beings. We are living. We have emotions, and we're emotional beings. We have a mind, and we make decisions. We have our own unique personality. But before salvation... We're spiritually dead because we're actually cut off from the source of spiritual life and that's only found in God. You see, we were without God's life. And Jesus tries to explain this truth to a guy named Nicodemus in John 3. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the people of Israel. And he says to Nicodemus, he goes, mate, you need to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus goes, what? What are you talking about, need to be born again? Do I crawl back into my mother's womb and then pop out again? That's just crazy. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. You need to be born again to see the kingdom of God. You need to be born spiritually. And he says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the people and you don't understand this? See, Nicodemus didn't know that he was spiritually dead. And what Jesus was trying to tell him was this truth, that we are all spiritually dead and need to be born again spiritually to enter God's presence. Because the Bible says that God is spirit and we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. So now that Paul, what Paul is saying here is that we're not physically dead, but we're spiritually dead. And so the question is, what makes us spiritually dead? Well, the text tells us we're spiritually dead because of our sin. 
John Calvin actually says, Since the life of the soul is bound to God, those who are by sin alienated from him are to be regarded as dead. You see, our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. And the Bible tells us the penalty or the judgment for sin is death. It's spiritual death. It's spiritual separation from a holy and righteous God for eternity. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death. That, that, that is our judgment or our sentence, if you like, from the judge. It's like in a courtroom when someone is judged for a heinous crime. The judge looks at the crime and sentences the person, well, it still happens today in some states in America, sentences them to, to death, which is eternal separation from existence on earth, right? And it's the same with God's judgment on sin. Sin brings total separation for God for eternity. And therefore, everyone has this dense sentence already over their lives from sin. In fact, the Bible actually tells us that we are born in this spiritual state because of what Adam did, because of Adam's sin right back in the start in the book of Genesis. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man Adam's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Not only are we born into it, but all of us, every single one of us have sinned, and we deserve this death sentence on our life. It's just what we see. And we, to understand this, in America today, there are still places where the death penalty happens. And in the old days, in the, they called the place where they would put all the, the people who had been convicted and sentenced to death, they put them in what called, they called death row. So there's a special wing for all those that are under the death penalty. And as a new inmate would walk down to his cell, all the other cellmates would get out, would come to their door and yell out, Dead man walking! dead man walking to intimidate them, to bring fear into the person coming in. Why did they say dead man walking? Because that was their sentence. That was their reality. They were literally waiting to be, to be, to be killed for their, for their crime. And for us, it's the same with us. We are dead and men and women walking because we've all sinned. This passage is clear that all sinned and we're all dead. And this is a reality that all of us in humanity have to come to terms with. Like we can all admit, right, whether Christian or non-Christian, we've all sinned at some stage. Like each and every one of us has lied. We've all hurt people, said hurtful things to others. We've all done things we're ashamed of. Every single one of us, me included. And so what Paul continues to do, he continues to remind the church, not only are we dead, but what when we and others are actually influenced by in this life. He says in verse 2, You're dead in your sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You see, we are spiritually dead and we're actually controlled or influenced by these four things that Paul points out here. The first one is the way of the world. We are influenced to sin and we are dragged away by the ways of the world. When you look at our culture, our culture is trying to drag us into sin. Look at the Aussie culture. We love Aussie culture, right? But there's some parts of Aussie culture that are not great, like binge drinking, like just going out and getting absolutely slaughtered and then getting into fights. We don't mind a bit of a fisty cuff in the, in the bar, right? But is that good? 
But what we do is we get dragged into that culture because we feel ostracized if we don't. Look at other parts of culture like consumerism. We get dragged into that. We probably have a car that works, but then we see other cars that are much more nicer than mine. And then we get dragged in this, oh, I've got to get that. And sometimes we'll lie and we'll cheat to get there. Let's take sex, for example. Yes, we're talking about that in church. In culture, it is okay to have a sex with as many people as you want. It's just all about you just having a good time. If you're both consenting, it's all good. Just have it with as many people as you like. And we get dragged into that culture where God says that it is a sacred thing between a husband and a wife. But the ways of the world drag us into this sin. The second thing we see here is Satan. He says, The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You see, the ruler of the kingdom of the air is Satan. Jesus actually says in, in, in the Gospels, he goes, um, the, the God of this world has no part with me. He goes, Satan is actually the God of this world. That he is influencing people to sin. We have demonic presence. We see Jesus casting demons out of people. We have Satan. When we're not following the Spirit of God, he has reign over us. And he influences us to do things that are against God. See, when you're spiritually dead and without God, and without God's Spirit, you're actually under the influence of the kingdom of the air, of Satan's kingdom. Then he talks about the lust of the flesh or the cravings, or the cravings of our flesh. These are bodily pleasures. Like this one is probably one of the toughest, right? Like the bodily pleasures we get sucked into so easy. And again, sex is one of them. It's so easy to get sucked into that one. We have food. Who loves food? I love food. I absolutely love it. But we can get sucked into that as well and be gluttons. We can get sucked into excitement or, or, or having that feeling of adrenaline. And we will do all sorts of things to get that high. And we get sucked into these cravings of our flesh. And the last thing he says, the desires and the thoughts. Without the Spirit of God, when we don't have God, our desires are selfish. Our desires are all about me. And our desires overtake us, right? Once we have a desire for something, it's really hard to fight against it. And it comes to us in our thoughts. Who here would agree with me? Our thoughts are at wage, wage war against us, Right? Like for me, it's our thoughts. I'm constantly trying to wage war against my thoughts on a daily basis because my thoughts are telling me one thing and I'm like, no, 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 that's not the way of God. Get revenge, Scott. No, 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 that's not the way of God, grace. Like our thoughts wage war against us. Proverbs 16 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, the way that seems right to a man only leads to death. You know, when we are under the influence of the evil one, the way that seems right to a man, it leads to death. The way that seems right to a man is, yeah, go on, have sex with her. Yeah, go on, get revenge. Yeah, go on, gratify your flesh. But that just leads to death. You see, without the Holy Spirit working your life, all these factors is what guide and direct you. Now, I'm not saying that, that non-Christians don't do good things. They absolutely do good things, but... We are, they are under the influence of all these four things. And I agree 100% with this passage because these are the things that directed my life before coming to faith in Jesus. Like all of these things were bearing down on me to turn away from God. And I was a slave to them. 
I absolutely had no power to resist them, none. But now I'm led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I find now that I actually have true life and fulfillment. All those things didn't fulfill, didn't fulfill me. They were actually killing me. Theodore Epp actually says, We desire to be separated. We must desire to be separated unto the Lord from the world and its evil system. We must reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Because this is true positionally, but it can be made true in our spiritual life only as we yield to the Holy Spirit's control. You see, if we're out without the Spirit of God, we're, we're dead in our sins and we're actually deserving of wrath. He says it in verse 3, he says, Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. You know, we don't like to talk about the wrath of God right in church, do we? We kind of skip over that verse because we just like to talk about, you know, God is love and we want to focus on his love. But church, can I say that's wrong? Yes, we focus on God's love because God is love, but God hates sin. And God is holy and righteous and must deal with sin, and sin deserves judgment. But I think it's because we don't understand or have a healthy view of what the wrath of God means. You see, the wrath of God's not like man's wrath. It's not a bad temper. It's not that he might fly off the handle at any moment. His wrath doesn't come out of spite or malice or animosity or revenge. His wrath is impartial. Since it's the divine reaction to only one situation, that's namely sin and evil, therefore God's wrath is entirely predictable and it's never subject to mood, whim or chance. It's just not random. God's wrath is perfect and righteous and because I know that God is love, His wrath comes from a place of love. God's wrath is 100% just. And because of this fact, I can actually trust him. I can trust when he pours out his wrath. I can trust God's judgments. They're good and right in every situation, even when I don't fully understand. And we see this in the Old Testament, right? We read certain moments in the Old Testament where God brings judgment. And we can say, God, you're wrong to do that. Really? Are we going to stand before a holy and righteous God and say, you made the wrong call? It's probably because we don't understand. I don't understand what has happened there. But if I know God's character and nature, I know that what his judgments are, they're faithful and true. And if you're sitting here today thinking, wow, stoked I came to church this morning. You make me feel so good, Scott. Not. You know what? I don't apologize at all. And that might sound terrible, but this is what the Word of God teaches. It's not my opinion. This is how God sees it. And it might seem harsh, but... Church, we need to know the depths of sin and the effect it has on our soul. And the effect it has on the souls of, the, of those people that don't know Jesus and his offer of salvation. But here's the good news. You see, in verse 4, we see the good news for all of humanity. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And this is the second point of today. But now we are alive in Christ. How are we made alive? Because of God. Because His love. It's His great love that reaches down to us through Jesus Christ to make us alive. Even though we're dead in our sin. Even though we had rejected God in our hearts. That Christ died for us. And it says, who is rich in mercy. Do you know what? There is enough grace. 
for every single person on the face of the earth. You can't outsin God. You can't be sitting there thinking, God can't possibly love me because I've done too much. Let me tell you, God is rich in mercy. There is way more than enough. And it says, by grace, you have been saved. Even though we're dead and you're on death row, God has made you alive in Christ. And verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Like, I'm not sitting in heaven right now with Jesus, am I? Like, I'm here with you. What Paul is saying here is, we have the life of Christ. We have been given eternal life. We are hidden in him. Baptism is a great representation of this. For we have died with Christ and we rise again with Christ to new life. This is a spiritual truth. That we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. So what does that mean? We have now a new perspective. We have a heavenly perspective on everything. So when we're going through suffering and pain and hard times, we look on that from a heavenly perspective and we say, yeah, but I'm in Christ. But this is not the end. That I will be seated with Christ one day. I will see him face to face. We have this new heavenly perspective because we are in Christ, seated next to the Father. It's like this. You know how we have syncing with our phones? So my phone syncs to my laptop, syncs to my iPad, all that sort of stuff. So it doesn't matter where my phone is, doesn't matter where my laptop is, they're synced. We're synced with Jesus, like the cloud, you know, we're up in the cloud with him, however that works. I still don't know how the cloud works in Apple. And then verse 7, he says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I love this word, incomparable grace. Incomparable. I challenge you, look into any other faith system. You will not find a grace that we find here in our Lord Jesus Christ. Every other faith religion says you work hard to earn God's love. You work at it, work at it, and hopefully maybe one day God will love you and maybe let you into heaven or wherever they think they go. Christianity is the only one that God says, no, I've done everything. All you need to do is repent and believe. That is incomparable grace. It's grace that is undeserved. None of us deserve that grace. This grace is an expression of God's kindness. It's an expression of his character and his nature. I love that. It's expressed through God's kindness towards us. Even though God must punish sin because he's holy, God can't help but show grace because that's who he is. Like when Jesus walks in a room, he's going to act one way every time. And that's full of love and mercy and grace. And if people reject that, they're rejecting his love. Look at the Gospels. Look at every time he spoke to sinners. He showed them love and grace. Half his disciples were major sinners like prostitutes and tax collectors, tradies. That's how much God loves us. That's how much his kindness is poured out to us. So this grace is on display for all humanity in and through the church, you. You know, we should be the expression of God's grace and loving kindness to the world. We should be showing people that no matter where we find ourselves, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're here on Sunday. And then he continues, he says in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. We are made alive by God through faith. This is the gospel, right? That we were dead in our sin, that we're all sinners, that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for you and me. We, we celebrated it here in communion, where Jesus shed his blood for you and I. And it's through by faith, repentance from sin. Repentance is turning away from unbelief, turning away from our sin and turning to Christ and putting our full faith and trust in him, what he did on the cross. It's not by works. We can't work our way into favor with God. Jesus has done all the work on the cross for us. It's only by faith and it's a gift. So no one can boast. It's like if I work really, really, really hard and save lots and lots of money and I buy a Ferrari. Every time I talk to someone about it, I can say, I, I work for that. Like that's because of me, because I work really, really hard. Whereas if someone literally gave me a Ferrari, how do I walk around? How do I talk? I don't go, oh, look at me, how well I did everything. I'm just like, you wouldn't believe it. This person gave it to me. I did nothing for it. It was literally a gift. And that's what the Bible teaches us salvation is. God, by his grace, he provides a way for every single person a means of escape from the death penalty, from death row. And that's only through faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. Even in the natural world, even in the real death row today, in the States, there's an opportunity for those men and women who are going to be executed here on earth to receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That's the mercy and the love of grace of God that we find in Jesus. And Paul finishes with, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, we the church, we are the evidence of God's handiwork. We're recreated, we're spiritually born again in Jesus Christ. And our lives as Christians should be evidence of that power. How we walk day by day in the areas that we have influence over, should be evidence of God's handiwork in our lives. And we're created to do good works. And you're like, whoa, 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 I thought you just said it wasn't by works. Yes, we don't work for our salvation, but once we are saved, God has works for us to do, to glorify him, to love and serve others. We're created to have a relationship with God. We're created to be made spiritually alive in Jesus, and we're created for good works, not for sin. We're created to love God and love others. God has a plan and a purpose for you, each and every one of you. What does this mean? Do we all have to be pastors or in ministry? Absolutely not. God wants to use you where you are. If we're all pastors, we'd all be stuck in a church all week. <laughs> right? What good is that? We are the church that is scattered out into the world. That we may show people God's grace, but also invite them into community where they can see what it's like to be in a community of those that love God. But God has good work for you to do in every area of your life. doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a student, a doctor or a patient, mother or father. doesn't matter if you have a job or you don't have a job. doesn't matter where you find yourself in life. God has a plan for you to be a blessing for people around you. He wants you to reflect his love into the world. Ash, do you want to come up? So what we find here in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, it teaches us actually to be humble. It teaches us that we were all dead in our sins. None of us are better than anyone else. None of us can stand in front of anyone and go, I'm better than you. We're all dead in our sin. And secondly, what makes us humble, we're all made alive in Christ Jesus. 
It's by grace you have been saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Louis Giglio has this great statement. He says, sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. The gospel doesn't make us better. The gospel makes us alive. You see, we're born into sin, into a physical, natural, temporal life here on earth. But through Jesus Christ, God offers us the opportunity to be born again to eternal life. And here's the kicker. Here's the bonus. We will again have physical, perfected bodies, free from sin and death in the new heaven and earth, when Jesus Christ redeems all of creation on that last day. That's what God offers through Jesus Christ for anyone who repents of their sin and puts their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and as their Savior. Jesus offers life and life in all its fullness. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer now, a time of ministry where we're going to minister to one another. And you might be sitting there and not ever realize that you are dead in your sin. And I don't say that to condemn you. I say that because that's where every single one of us find ourselves. And God's offering a way of escape through his amazing grace and his loving kindness. So that might be you today. You might need to repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus and receive life and life in its fullness. The other person might be sitting here today is you might be sitting and you feel trapped by sin. That those four things that Paul talks about, they're, they're drawing you away from God. They're making you feel separate from God because there's some sin that you just, you just can't let go of. You feel the forces bearing down you. God wants to release you today. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That Jesus comes to break chains. And the last person here today, you might be sitting here thinking, I know Jesus. I want to walk in righteousness, but I just don't know what he has for me. I don't know what God's plan for me is. I don't know his good works that he's planned before the foundation of time for me to walk in. And you want God to reveal that to you. So what we're going to do is, I'm just going to ask you to stand. And you're going to stand, and what we're going to do is we're going to get some people around you that are close to you. They're just going to lay hands on you. You don't have to tell them what you want prayed for if you want to keep it to yourself, but you can if you want. And we're just going to pray for another, one another. We're going to be the church. So if you're any of those three people, just stand now. And we're going to pray for each other.